Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, live across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station. And or FM translator, good morning uh, to you. It is the Michael Duke Show, and it is the Monday edition, the fun day edition of the program. After, uh, well, a, I would say a relatively nice weekend. Uh, although <clears throat> it was a little, it was a little rainy yesterday. Still overall, very, very nice. And uh, I'm rating that one uh, probably a... Oh, a B minus, probably a B minus for us for a uh, summer weekend. Uh, nice and warm on Friday afternoon, nice on Saturday and a little bit cool, not cooler. It was actually, it was funny because I had to run down to the store and get a cucumber yesterday. Of all things, my wife was making potato salad and uh, <laughs> the cucumber we had in the fridge was very sad. Anyway, I was walking around thinking, <clears throat> well, it's a little cloudy and a little muggy, but it's it's warm. It's, it was really, it was kind of weird. Um, but overall, I would say a great weekend for, um, a great weekend for, uh, a, a, you know, another summer day. Here we are. I mean, we're, we're 10 weeks from snow, nine weeks from snow, maybe. And, uh, still a nice day. Um, I mean, fingers crossed the first time I've told this story before, but the first time that we, uh, got down here into the South central area after moving from the interior, it was shocking because my kids, it was Halloween and there still hadn't been any snow. And, uh, my kids were freaked out a little bit. They're like, uh, this is weird, dad. I don't have to, anyway, <clears throat> maybe it'll be another one of those. I don't know. Uh, you know. It'd be the one benefit, I guess, of global warming that we're seeing. I mean, was 127 degrees or something in Phoenix, and down in, in Texas, and uh, so we could we could have a we could have a, a you know a warm a warm uh, fall or something along those lines. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, it's Monday, and uh, we have got uh, a slew of headlines to talk about here in hour one. Things to discuss and. Um, debate and we'll see what uh, we'll see what comes of that uh, but in hour two we're going to be joined by uh, Julie Colomb who is the uh, representative from Anchorage and she is going to pick up a discussion that we started last week um, I had um, somebody reach out to me and said that Julie is very versed uh, in the topic and that is the topic of um, Mental health matters in the United uh, in the uh, in the United States, but more specifically here in Alaska, uh, we talked about uh, some of the issues related to mental health. I think we got into the discussion about uh, the healthcare system and 
how when a lot of that was deconstructed by the Reagan administration, that uh, some states had plans in place, some states didn't have plans in place, and there are some real ramifications uh, to what's going on. Um, we, because we've seen, you know, we see some of the darndest things. Uh, we talked about the gentleman who um, stabbed the woman at the Lusack Library randomly here. Um, was it two years ago now, I guess? Um, just out of the blue, uh, how that man had been in and out of police custody and he had been charged with attacking other women. And um, <clears throat> But he was obviously mentally unfit. At one point, they decided mentally unfit to stand charges. And, you know, we talked about the homelessness issue and the component of mental health uh, in that. And then we see things like uh, there was a, st- was a standoff in uh, Wasilla uh, this weekend where a woman stripped naked in the parking lot and was trying to attack people. And I mean, it was just wild and crazy, just wild and crazy time um, all across, uh, all across the area. Same thing has happened in Anchorage a couple times. Some of the incidents down there as well. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the state of mental health in the state and what, what actually, how does it actually work? What actually happens? We'll talk about the mental health trust uh, because somebody called up and uh, was discussing that. What is the, what is the status of that? And how do we raise money from what's going on there? And it's anyway, it'll be a, it should be an interesting and wide ranging discussion in hour two with Representative Julie Colom, who is going to come on board and talk with us uh, about uh, about this stuff. Meanwhile, uh, headlines, headlines, who's got your headlines? That would be me. I uh, want to welcome you to it. Um, this. This Friday, um, I, so housekeeping, um, I it's uh, it's my birthday coming up this next week. I'm doing a little bit of extra and early, and uh, so I'm going to be off the air on Friday. Um, I will be maxing and relaxing, sipping a tequila somewhere in that's. Sorry, I was quoting a song. Um, I'll be I'll be hanging out and enjoying a little bit of downtime for my birthday, and that's going to be which is next week. My birthday is actually next week, but I'm going to be working on those days. But I've decided to uh, decided to get a little time in, and so it's going to be a three day weekend this week for me and a four day work week. Which is the I mean that's the only thing better than a three day weekend is the four day work week. So just an FYI, you'll be listening to alternate programming on Friday, and uh, which means that on Thursday, Firearms Thursday, that's what's, that's what's happening on Thursday, will be a combination of regular stories and a little bit of Firearms Thursday, just because I need to, I need to get it all out and get, get going on. Um, all right. Uh, what was the, what was the thing? Uh, oh, thank you very much. Uh, Daniel said I, I had to restart the live stream. There we go. Live stream, by the way, is available for the audio only live stream is available over at, uh, michaeldukeshow.com. If you want to 
if you want to uh, click on over there and, and jump in on that. Let's, uh, let's go. Okay. <clears throat> Boy, lots of chat in the chat room this morning. People asking questions that I'm not ready to answer. What's the word on the pistol brace rule, says Greg. I don't know yet, Greg. Still watching to see what's going on. And I will uh, let you know as soon as I... Soon as we hear, maybe by Thursday we'll have some news on that, and we can dive into it and see what's uh, what's going on. Well, uh, some crazy things happened uh, on the way to the fair uh, this weekend in Juno. Um, they had a massive release of of um, glacial water from a geological a feature called Suicide Basin. And what happens is the um, Suicide Basin is uh, uh, is an area right near Mendenhall Glacier where the glacial floods, the floodwaters of the glacier fill up, fill up, fill up, and then have these sudden releases. And uh, Suicide Basin has released water that caused floodings along the Mendenhall Lake and the Mendenhall River that's been going on since 2011, but they had a tremendous release uh, over the weekend uh, on Saturday night, and that level uh, of flood water, flood stage, um, was the highest uh, ever recorded since 20. It was the exceeded the previous record set in 2016, July of 2016. They had a massive release there <clears throat> as well. This uh, this stuff, though, ooh, baby. If you haven't seen this, uh, there was a house right on the edge of the river. There's several different videos going around, including one where it shows these massive spruce trees just toppling into the river one right after another. And then there is a series of houses and uh, condominiums over on Riverside Drive in Juneau. And they've got a video of the... Uh, They've got a video from across the river watching this as it happens, and the river just rips through the banks. You can see that there's, you know, 10, 5, 10, 12 feet of house hanging out over the edge of this bank now because the bank has been eroded away. And this $700,000 house just topples, right, just gets sucked right into the river, and away she goes. It's a... Uh, it's a crazy, crazy uh, uh, video and just shows you the power of Mother Nature. Um, they have now lost two buildings and they've condemned the condominium complex that was right next door to this house. And uh, <clears throat> no word yet on how they're going to try and make it safe or whatever. It's, it's unusual for it to get as high as it did. But that flood water has uh it was a the glacial dammed lake uh released dammed not it's like a deep beaver dam not the other kind it was not cursed it was just a, a glacial dammed lake release um occurred there uh into mendenhall lake and river and they said uh one of the comments from somebody who lived there was that it is it was four times as wide as he had ever seen it since he lived there. Four times. Could you imagine? You could see the river from your house, but it's not too close. The next thing you know, the river's under your house. I mean, just 
More proof positive that Alaska is Alaska is always out here trying to kill you one way or the other. But lots of major flooding down there. And again, uh, there's a lot of unfree. What did the person call? Uh, I was reading, sorry, I was reading the article, uh, the person who posted it on Facebook called a, um, uh, called it a, it was a, <clears throat> let me see, uh, cause it's in the, it's in the post to Twitter and I just, or X or whatever we're calling it these days. Um, they, they called it a specific name. It was like a Scandinavian name for. Uh, I don't see it there. Okay. Uh, anyway, I was just curious as to what, uh, oh, here it is. Uh, a record Hyokulaup flooding. Jokulaup. I don't know what that means, but it is um, interesting. Anyway, uh, so hopefully those folks um, had, uh, had overbought insurance and uh, it was all it was all good because you watch this thing go into the river and you're just like, I don't know what that is. Oh, the hookah laup is literally glacial glacial outburst flood is a type of glacial outburst flood. It's an Icelandic term, but basically just boom. Hoku laup. You learn something new every day. That's a word that I'll try and that's a word that I'll try and work into my vocabulary this week just in case all right uh we gotta go uh the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free-thinking radio we will return in just a mo don't go anywhere more headlines and discussion what's going on in uh, anchorage and the rest of the state with employment we'll talk about the flotilla of Chinese and Russian warships that are apparently just off the Aleutian Islands and more. It'll all be here. The Michael Luke Show, Common Sense Radio. the show you can listen to it on your time with dukes on demand oh and it's free like america used to be streaming live every weekday morning on facebook live and michaeldukesshow.com all righty good morning my friends good morning Thank you, Daniel, for the uh, – Daniel was the one that told me the live stream is off. And he says, thank you. Now I can hit the road to work. Thank you for letting me know uh, on that. Um, Anthony. Yeah, that's just cheating, getting naked and attacking folks. Nobody's tried to get hobo giblets rubbing all over them trying to wrestle in the parking lot. Hard pass. I mean, it was crazy, some of the stuff that's happened in the last couple of days. And then there was – um, I couldn't, I couldn't find the, I read the story last night as I was laying in bed, getting ready to go to sleep. Um, and apparently there was an armed standoff at the Fort Wainwright gate. Somebody tried to drive through without going through. And they had the picture is a woman in a nice flowered sundress with sunglasses with her hands up being surrounded by police all pointing guns at her. I mean, I don't know what's going on.
I mean, it just seems like the crazy is real. The crazy is real. That's what's going on. Um, am I being detained? This is Brian. Good morning. Am I being detained? Is that, uh, I mean, no, you're not. You're free to go, free to leave, free to go, free to go. Um, not mentally fit to live among society either, but they let them go anyway. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, people are just crazy. Terry says she wishes he, she could take her birthday off. Well, Terry, you know what? It's one of those things when you're, when you are your own boss, you're also the worst taskmaster in the world, but then occasionally you can decide to do something nice for your employee and let them take their birthday off. But I'm actually going to be working on my birthday because my birthday's on a Wednesday. Nothing worse than a birthday on a Wednesday. Give me a birthday on a Friday or a Monday. You know what I mean? That would be. Because I don't need a birthday on the weekend because then that just takes up a weekend day that I, I would rather have it on like a Friday or a Monday so I can have a three-day weekend. Anyway, it's just one of those things. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Um, Virgo, Juno Metaphors, Swamp Castle. Donna just dropped a, I can't follow the link, but you go check check you go check it out um yeah uh that's yeah, right terry i will write you a note that you can have your birthday off if you'd like me to write you a note yeah oh it's a hookah lout it's the viking word for my house needs an outboard motor you guys are full of V this morning i don't know what's going on um there's a highly controversial ordinance going through the planning commission on Tuesday, said Barbara. Um, the I don't know what it is. Uh, the gals at Fort Wainwright stood up a judge for a date, and it wasn't a Tinder date, says Barbara. <laughs> okay. I don't know what was – I don't know. I couldn't get the story of what was happening. Um I, I don't I couldn't get a I couldn't get the story on what was going on there. Nobody in the comment section of the things really needed to know. But I mean this gal standing there basically in a big flowered dress. I mean she's dressed to the she's dressed to the nines. You know, I mean not like evening wear, but you know, she looks really nice and she's sitting there with sunglasses and her hands up and the cops are all pointing at her. I don't know what was going on. Something. Uh anyway, it just seems like crazy is uh, a feature uh, that we're seeing a lot more of these uh, these days. It's uh, it's interesting to watch, that's for sure. Okay, um, where do I want to start? Where do I want to start? Uh, I guess we'll go. We did the flooding thing. We'll come back. To, we'll we'll come back around to. Oh, this is where I want to go. There we go. We're gonna talk about that. The Flotilla. That's what we'll talk about. All right. If you guys are all ready, like and share, like and follow, subscribe, ring the bell, do all the YouTube stuff. Let's get to it. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio.
All right, welcome back to the program. This Monday edition, boy, I could see some blue sky out there. It's going to be a, I have a feeling it's going to be a very nice day today. I, in fact, I'm going to, I'm just going to tell you, you're going to have a great day today. I'm speaking it into existence for you. I know it's Monday. I know you're groggy. But it's going to be a great day. I mean, think of the alternative, right? It's like my grandfather used to say, any day above ground is a good day. Today's going to be a great day for you. All right, let's get into um, another story here that uh, was first reported in the Wall Street Journal. uh, That there were 11 Chinese and Russian warships spotted off the coast of Alaska, not far from the Aleutian Islands. It is the largest such flotilla to approach American shores in, well, recent memory, I guess you would say. <laughs> maybe maybe since the revolution? I, I don't know. Um, and although the ships never entered U.S. territorial waters, they were shadowed by four U.S. destroyers and a P-8 Poseidon aircraft to uh, keep an eye on them. Uh, It's a historical first. Uh, Brett Sadler is quoted, a senior research fellow for the Heritage Foundation and a retired Navy captain, told the uh, Wall Street Journal. He said, given the context of the war in Ukraine and the tensions around Taiwan, the move is highly provocative. Uh, Now, this is just grist for the mill for Senator Dan Sullivan who is a member of the Senate Armed Services Committee and a longtime advocate of upgrading Alaska's military presence uh, because of our geographic location, the fact that we're right here next to Russia. You know, we've got the, uh, the, the they're building all the icebreakers and they're building all these ports in the, uh, you know, in the subarctic. Uh, and the fact that China is, you know, a stone's throw, I could see China from my house kind of thing, you know. Um, he had lots to say about this. He said the incursion by 11 Chinese and Russian warships operating together off the coast of Alaska is yet another reminder that we've entered a new era of authoritarian aggression led by the dictators in Beijing and Moscow. In recognition of this reality and our state's unrivaled strategic location for years, I've been pressing the Navy in each successive administration to commit to greater Naval, Coast Guard, and Marine Corps presence in Alaska, more Arctic-capable vessels, and more infrastructure to host these assets, like a deep water port in Nome. Um, He reminded folks that last summer the Chinese and Russian navies conducted a similar operation off the coast of Alaska, and then President Biden's response was, uh, well, he said it was weak. Uh, Senator Murkowski also issued a statement, said we have been in close contact with the leadership from Alaska Command for several days now and received detailed classified briefings about the foreign vessels that are transiting U.S. waters. Um, I, (laughs) you know, it's very troubling when two of the most uh, autocratic or authoritarian regimes in the world join forces and that we here in Alaska are kind of at the tip of the spear on this deal. We're the ones that are sticking way out here on the pointy end. And so if they decide to make some kind of, uh, if they decide to make some kind of statement militarily, 
it would be a uh, you know we're a quick hop skip and a jump across the uh, across the ocean to do stuff like that is it is a little concerning but um i'm not going to try and lose any sleep over it again the posturing is about for russia at this point the posturing's about all they can do i mean they have got their absolute hands full i don't know if you've been seeing the the ukrainian war stuff has kind of fallen off the radar for most people but I was reading last week about some of the new offensives and things that were going on, and the Russians are getting their asses handed to them in so many different areas. Um, they overextended. They've had to pull back uh, from several locations because their supply chains are too thin and they don't have the manpower. And I mean, you just go through this stuff and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, crazy what's going on, uh, which in, on one hand is a good thing. But on the other hand, if you continue to back people into a corner, sometimes crazy stuff happens, and I don't like to see that. But uh, Russia, I'm not too worried about Russian warships. The Chinese, that's a whole other thing. But the fact that they're out there working together is enough to raise the, you know, raise the hairs in the back of my neck a little bit. But it could just be, as they said, it, they did the same thing last summer. So it could just be another annual thing that they were committed to, and we'll see where it goes from. Uh, we'll see where it goes from there, I guess. Um, the well, yeah, okay, I'll talk about it. I wasn't going to talk about this, but uh, Must Read had a story up. Speaking of China, talking about Energy Secretary, um. Uh, Energy Secretary uh, Granholm, um, and it's Jennifer Granholm. She's the Ener Energy Secretary, and she was part of the decision-making process on releasing uh, oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve in late 2021. Well, according to Americans for Public Trust and reported first on Fox News Digital, there were a series of meetings between Granholm and uh, a senior Chinese official, with a, a senior figure within the Chinese Communist Party, that were held uh, in November nineteenth uh, and twenty-first of twenty twenty-one. Uh, only two days after that second conversation, the Biden administration made an announcement to tap the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and release fifty million barrels of oil. That is the largest withdrawal from the reserve in in U.S. history. Which, funny how we didn't really get a whole lot of commentary on that. I mean, I remember it being mentioned in passing, but not the amount and not that it was this, the largest one ever. And anyway, last year, the Washington Free Beacon focused on a million barrels of the reserves oil that was sold to Unipec America, which is a subsidiary of Sinopec, the Chinese oil company. This organization has a connection to Hunter Biden, who was part of BHR, an investment company that had a stake in a Sinopec subsidiary. And so now there's this whole web of questions about whether or not the Biden administration was improperly influenced by the Chinese, um, by the Chinese official in part to be able to sell oil to a Chinese subsidiary. It's a web of lies and weirdness. And I mean, Senator Granholm's multiple closed door meetings with the CCP connected energy official raises serious questions about the level of Chinese influence on the Biden administration's energy agenda. 
wrote the executive uh, director of Americans for Public Trust. They have questions about this. And uh, yeah, I would agree that they have, I have questions uh, about this. Um, and, but here we are, you know, maybe they'll have another UFO hearing to distract us from everything else that's going, if that was the big thing that was going on, right? Oh yeah. Now we all know that there's UFOs. Okay. Well, that was a nothing burger back to Hunter Biden. What's going on with him? It was just a distraction. The whole thing was just a distraction. You weren't paying attention to it. If you're not paying attention, that's, oh man, so crazy. Um, I want to know what's going on with the Dunleavy administration. I want to know what's going on with, you know, they've had these, they've had a bunch of dismissals. Um, they've let people go that force resignations, all these different, um, things have been happening and no, I don't necessarily know for what reason. And the thing is the administration is not necessarily being clear on exactly what's going on. Now I heard about this in passing last week. We weren't, we didn't really talk about this, but uh, I heard about this in passing. Nat Hers over at the um, Northern Journal. He writes for he writes for all he writes for a bunch of different Alaska Public. He writes for the Beacon, Northern Journal, everything else. Anyway, he's writing about this uh, story. So, top energy officials, uh, uh, Curtis Thayer. Let me just sorry, just let me just write this down here. Curtis Thayer, who is the Alaska Energy Authority Executive Director, complained about an opinion piece that was written by his co-leader on the state task force two days before Governor Mike Dunleavy removed the co-leader from the panel. So Thayer is the head of the Alaska Energy Authority, and he wrote a letter to uh, Gwen Holdman who was his co-founding director for the Alaska Center for Energy and Power and who were originally vice chairs of the task force, the Energy Security Task Force, which Dunleavy had charged with reducing the cost of electricity in the state. He wrote to Gwen Holdeman saying that he was disappointed that she'd written a series of energy-focused opinion pieces without sharing them in advance with the, apparently with him. I didn't know that necessarily you needed to, I mean, you know, maybe it's nice to share with people if you have an opinion that you want to, but did he have to get them approved? Did she have to get them approved from him? What's interesting is that um, Holdman has been writing uh, about, uh, she's been exploring uh, different options for modernizing Alaska's electrical grid without specifically endorsing options. But in her piece, she has uh, she's known for her research into the potential of nuclear microreactors in Alaska. That's where she fo that's where her known area of focus on research is. Meanwhile, Curtis Thayer has worked closely with the state's urban utilities, which are deeply dependent on natural gas. So the way the article is written, it makes it sound like maybe, just maybe, there's a bit of give and take here 
And there's a bit of territorialism between the two different types of energy. Um, and maybe because she put out this opinion piece without really talking about, you know, or, or getting Thayer's, I guess, approval or co cooperation or whatever else, that now she's like, oh, it's all, you know, I, I'm wondering, is this kind of just a, a peeing match between the two different types of it? He, we here in Alaska, all we care about is that we get the most reasonably affordable and, you know, as clean energy as we possibly can. I think that if you talk to most Alaskans, that's what they're looking for. Micronuclear can deliver that. And uh, as much as I like natural gas, don't get me wrong, if micronuclear can do the same thing, only do it better in the long run, more affordable, you know, then <clears throat> I'm all about that. Look at what's happening down in the Cook Inlet right now. They're starting to run out of gas and they don't know they don't know what's going to happen in the next five years for gas in the inlet. I mean, we might be in the same boat that Fairbanks in where we got to start, you know, doing heating oil instead of natural gas. I mean, we don't know. So I'm just curious as to what's going on. But the Dunleavy administration has just arbitrarily removed people. And this is the one, the one, the the gal who was the tax uh, gal at the, the DNR and the Department of, or Department of Revenue. Um, and it, it, we, we're seeing these people just drop around and there's no reasoning given. Not that they have to give a reasoning. But it starts to make you ask questions like, what, what's going on? Who's actually running the show over there? And who's calling these shots for all these people to be kicked out? It's a question that I have. I, I want to know what's going on. And finally, if you, uh, those of you who are up in Fairbanks uh, probably recognize the name Pete Kelly. Uh, Pete Kelly is the former Senate president in 2018 who lost his uh, – re-election bid uh, in the Senate. He's running again, but this time not for the legislature. He has recently filed to run for the IGU, the Interior Gas Utility, which is Fairbanks's borough-owned natural gas corporation. He's going to face a couple other candidates, but he'll be seeing him on his ballots, uh, on, his, on your ballot again here, not too far from here. So keep a, keep a watchful eye out there. All right, we got to uh, we got to continue on the Michael Duke Show, uh, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll be back for more in just a moment. Judy Colomb, Julie Colomb, will be joining us in hour two to talk about mental health in Alaska, and uh, we'll continue that discussion here in just a bit. Don't go anywhere. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Good morning, my friends. Smokey in Fairbanks, somebody said. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. 
Um, well, I'm going through the, uh, wonder if she took the jab. <laughs> what about the hobo guy in the parking lot? What about the gal that apparently is standing down by the Vita station in, was it Kenai? Or Homer, I can't remember which, I was reading, I was reading some social media yesterday, which I normally don't do, but apparently somebody's just been standing there all day, the troopers had been called, just a weird behavior. Is it sunspots? I don't know. I don't know. Um... You emailed the you emailed me the ordinance last night. I'll have to read it, uh, Barbara. Hey, how's your YouTube thing going, MD? Uh, not too bad. I mean, YouTube is happening. There's a let's see how many people are on YouTube. Uh, about fifteen people on YouTube right now watching us, roughly. I think. Um, you know, it's it's going. It's not like uh, it's not like I'm going to quit my day job tomorrow, but uh, we'll see. It's a good thing. Uh, Smokey and Fairbanks. Okay, Smokey Day. Um, they did not repair. Uh, we desperately re need rain here in Fairbanks, says Jim. Um, cabins and houses threatened. It's pretty rough out there, huh? <laughs> Every day above ground is a good thing. Is a good day, unless you fell out of an airplane, then being above ground is a bad thing. Well, yeah, true, but still be matter in the ground after you fall out of the airplane, because you will be in the ground at that point. Um, all right. Um, let's see. Morning, morning, morning. But we have naked hobos. Okay. Chuck. <laughs> Chinese army invades, Alaska deploys the naked hobo battalion, wins the war. You might want to do that. Just throw those guys out on the front line. That's the thing. Um, they're testing the, they're testing our response, says Donna Anthony. They're testing our response. They're 11 ships to R4 and our response time. Yeah. Um, Harold is the only one talking about Trump and this thing, like everybody else is engaged and he's like having a conversation with himself. I don't understand. I don't even care about the indictment, quite honestly. St stu play stupid games, win stupid prizes, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I suppose we can take solace that nobody's going to nuke Alaska, says Anthony. We're sitting on enough oil and minerals virtually untouched that they would in all likelihood ground occupy us. And I do enjoy a good General So's chicken. So that would be an interesting thing. Yep. Bring it on. Ground occupy. See how that works out for you. Yeah. Um, good find, says Brian, to Donna Ardwin. Although I don't know what it was because I can't see the connector. Has the government made it a statement about the incident? We need to continue to build Alaska's defense force, Alaskans protecting Alaskans. No, I hadn't heard anything uh, about that. I, I barely heard a mention about it, to, you know, when it happened. Um, uh, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Um, 
There were a lot of good drugs at Salmon Fest this weekend, just saying. I did see that, that there was like a litany of people being picked up at Salmon Fest. The one guy who had, what did he have? He had cocaine, he had meth, he had psilocybin mushrooms, he had some other LSD. and then he had, I mean, this guy he had like $50,000 worth of drugs on him. And he got busted. And he was out on parole. That was the best part. Well, criminals, they're just going to break the law. So, yeah, apparently Salmon Fest was like, woohoo out there. Uh, Haystack subdivision evacuated. Um, um, <laughs> yeah. Shrooms? Percocet? I don't know. They said he had psilocybin mushrooms and cocaine and some kind of synthetic drug, white, they don't know if it was ketamine or whatever, LSD, meth, and meth too. I mean, you can't forget meth. No daily, can't get your daily allowance of whatever. And he was out on parole. I mean, I just like, that was, that was perfect. That's the perfect example of what's going on. That re, I just don't think that rehabilitation thing is working out for you. Just, I don't think that I just don't think it's working quite. I could try. He's not as rehabilitated as he's possibly could have been. <laughs> it's so many, so many crazy things happening. Uh, I'm glad I didn't go to Homer this last weekend. Let's just put it that way. Let's just put it that way. Not the place to be with all that stuff. All right. Um, good morning. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Um, we got, uh, we got more coming. Let's jump into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio. Julie Colomb will be up with us at the top of the hour. Let's do it. Yeah, they had quite a party down at Salmon Fest down there over the weekend. I mean, I kept reading the police blotter that kept being posted up in, I don't know, one of the community Facebook groups. They got the guy down there that uh, the police contacted after it had been reported at Salmon Fest that he was out there selling shrooms. Selling shrooms at Salmon Fest. So they went back to his tent and they found... Well, first of all, they arrested him and he had shrooms and cocaine on his person. They went back to his tent and they found cocaine, more cocaine. They found more shrooms. They found uh, meth. They found a white powdery substance that they assume is fentanyl and a bunch of LSD. This guy was having a party all by himself and he was out on parole he didn't have an, what was the, th how did they put it? He didn't have a pass from Anchorage. He didn't have an approval pass, meaning he left Anchorage without permission because he was on parole. You're supposed to get permission before you go anywhere. And uh, it's, it apparently was a party down where he was at in Homer. Um, there was some crazy, crazy stuff uh, going on. It makes me kind of glad that I didn't go down to, uh, didn't go down. I was thinking about going down to Homer last weekend. 
uh, for Salmon Fest. And I was like, no, I just, I got a lot of stuff. I'll just stay. I'm kind of glad I did at this point. But he came from Anchorage, so you can't necessarily blame Homer, right? He, he came from Anchorage. Uh, but stupid is as stupid does. Guys, out on parole gets, they said it was $50,000 worth of drugs. Fifty. First of all, how do you get out of jail, be on parole, and go get $50,000 worth of drugs? Right? I mean, and I just don't, I don't even know at this, uh, at this thing. Uh, anyway, uh, it, uh, it was an, it was an interesting weekend. Let's just put it that way. Between the fact that the gal got stopped at the front gate of Fort Wainwright and got the armed guards and the whole armed standoff there up here at Wasilla at the Fred Meyer parking lot in Wasilla, a naked woman got chased around. It took six police officers to basically get her to stop. Uh, she was like running around attacking people and all kind of crazy. The shooting down at the Fred Myers in Anchor. I mean, it's, I think it's either the lack of the sun or it's too much sun. I don't know which one it is, but it's something, you know, it's something. Uh, but I, I, I will say this, this all kind of leads into our next segment where we're going to talk with Julie Colum about the state of uh, mental health care here in the state of Alaska, because it's pretty obvious that we've got some issues, not just here in Alaska, but around the country. We've got some definite issues on some of this stuff, and uh, it should be it should be a good discussion uh, as we go through. Um, one of the interesting, uh, well, there's a couple different interesting stories, and I'm not going to get too far into this one other than there was a brand new tech breakthrough in geothermal power. I don't know if you saw this article in the Beacon, um, but there has been a um, there's been a breakthrough in uh, uh, in some of this energy uh, 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 technology, the drilling technology of being able to use geothermal. Geothermal basically allows you to pump hot water into the ground or pump water into the ground where there are hot spots. It heats it. It brings the water up and then they release it, which turns it to steam which turns a generator and then they condenses again and then the cooling tower and then the water goes back and it's, it's a cycle. It's a circle of life, right? You know what I'm talking about? And it's a way to, they've been small scale geothermal power has been around for a long time, small scale, but now it's finally, um, um, it's finally starting to, uh, be an opportunity for large scale stuff. And it is some of, it's some of the cleanest power you can get once you get it uh, all built and everything else. Last month, the company announced a successful demonstration in the West of a new drilling technique that it says will greatly expand where geothermal plants can be built. They're talking about wanting it, a part of, uh, wanting it to be part of a larger piece of the grid where there will be whole grids of geothermal uh, power vents and things like that. Um, they said geothermal currently provides less than a half a percent of the nation's electricity, but those who support it believe that advances in technology will enable it to push it as much as 20% of the U.S. power grid. I remember talking about geothermal heat loops and geothermal generation systems 25 or 30 years ago. Uh, there was a guy out in North Pole that had built a geothermal loop to heat his home. 
He wasn't using it for power. He was using it for heat and it worked well. Uh, that was again, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that when it was in its kind of its infancy up there in the interior. And now things are totally changing, uh, where they're going to build whole networks of this stuff. I mean, it could, and it could be, uh, again, some of the cleanest power out there in conjunction with that. Um, and there's a whole article on this, by the way, again, in the Alaska beacon, I'll drop a link onto this into the, uh, um, into the, uh, chat room so folks can go take a look at it but that the uh the breakthrough could have long lasting effects let's just put it that way uh where geothermal could be used is a major source of power uh and in a related story the alaska division of oil and gas plans uh, for a geothermal lease sale for a volcano about 80 miles north of or about 80 miles from anchorage or mount spur uh, they are going to be leasing areas of land for exploration for geothermal uh, to be pumped apparently somewhere else. Uh, the decision was announced uh, July 28th by Director Derek Nottingham. The Alaska Division of Oil and Gas is preparing to hold a lease sale offering rights to explore for geothermal energy resources on Mount Spur. It comes two years after the division issued non-competitive bids to two companies to explore geothermal energy resources on specific parcels. Um, if the division follows through, this would be the fourth competitive lease sale held for Mount Spur geothermal resources after sales in 83, 86, and 2008. Uh, most of these have not really led to much, but with some of the new technologies coming online, uh, there are reasons to believe that the leasing this time will produce more results. And there's a lot more federal monies in there. They've got some federal <clears throat> incentives because of the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Um, and there's companies now that have a little bit more um, technology behind them than what they've done in the past. Uh, Geo Alaska is one of the companies that's working on this stuff. and. Uh, <clears throat> he he said that uh, the co president of that company said that they're working to uh, uh, they're working to see what they can bring to the they've got uh, bring to the table. They're also using data from the uh, from one of the previous companies as well that was there and and kind of eventually laid off. But uh, yeah, I think this is kind of a uh, there's a unique opportunity here. They got all the leases. They got this brand new tech breakthrough on how to use geothermal. Uh, in the long way, I think it could be, uh, and we are so <clears throat> geologically active here in the state, it would be a perfect opportunity to tap into that and, uh, you know, don't have a lot of solar time in parts of Alaska because of the lack of sunlight, but you may always have geothermal time. Maybe that's what they should be putting up now instead of a lot of these, you know, especially if in some of the villages, if there's a way so they don't have to haul fuel up there to generate power and all that. Maybe it's another way they can create a geothermal generator and they don't have to haul heating oil or fuel oil across, you know, up barges and through rivers and across tundra and everything else. It's a, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. I'd like to see what it's all about. All right. Uh, we're coming up on the break. We got more. Julie Colomb is going to be joining us in hour two. 
We're going to be talking with her about the state of mental health care in Alaska and probably around the country. I'm sure that'll come into the equation as well. We will continue the Monday edition of The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. Don't forget to come check us out on Facebook, by the way. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. We'll return with more right after this. Man, there's a red flag warning, says Jim. Red flag warning for more lightning strikes up in the interior this afternoon. That's all you need. Um, all right. I see that Julie is partially into the green room here. I got a little signal from her, but no video yet. So we'll get to her in just a minute. Let me go back through some of the... Uh, let me go back through some of their... Um, go back through some of the comments here real quick to make sure I got everything that's going on. Susie said, my dad was talking about it in the seventies. I'm assuming she means geothermal. Yeah. I mean, the technology has been around on the micro level for a long time, but they're trying to scale it up and do more. It's fascinating. I mean, it's fascinating what could be done with it. Um, a foray into geothermal bankrupted the, the utility at King Salmon and Naknek. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole new thing here. Um, the EPA will stop geothermal in its tracks. The amount of red tape you have to navigate to set up a functional geothermal generator is crazy. I didn't know. Um, psilocybins have better reported outcomes than SSRIs. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole thing about psilocybins. Their um, Reason Magazine actually had an article about it the other day saying that it uh, there are new studies that microdosing with some of that stuff can lead to better outcomes in mental health than some of the medications that they're using right now, especially for depression and some other things. Um, I mean, it's amazing what God put on this planet for us to be able to use in small certain doses, right? Um, <clears throat> there was a company that was hawking low temp geothermal here about 10 to 12 years ago. They swore to be damned they could make it work on Shemia. I mean, that's the thing. There's, you know, if somebody can actually develop something like that that works well, it could be a godsend. But how many hucksters are out there? We just don't know. Um,. <laughs> Anthony says, I'll take poor mental health. I'm not down for eating anything that grows off of cow turds. Come on. Mushrooms are delicious. And I don't mean psilocybin. I'm just like mushrooms are amazing. Yes, I know they grow out of, but mushrooms are delicious. And uh, it doesn't matter. And if there's health benefits to it, I'm okay with that as well. Um, if there's some kind of things where it can improve your mental health, 
Um, I'm I'm not against uh, I'm not against uh, looking into that. Uh, but let's talk about some. Let's talk about talk with somebody who knows something about the mental health here in Alaska, because we were doing a lot of speculating last week, and I had a couple people tell me that I needed to talk to Julie. Uh, so let's bring Rep. Julie Colomb here on the program this morning to talk about it. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Michael. How are you doing? You know, it's fun day Monday. And there's nothing I see. I see a big chunk of blue sky outside the crack in my drapes here. Mm, I can see that it's gonna, not an anchorage. Not an anchorage. <laughs> I'm in Wasilla. So I'm Cloudy. see this is why everybody should live in Wasilla, because it's just God's country. It's just beautiful. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about this, because especially in light of all the crazy things that have been happening. Um, you know, the whole thing in Wasilla this weekend where the naked lady was running around the parking lot attacking people and it took six officers to bring her down. Uh, yeah. According to Facebook and some of the people there said, oh, this is this gal and she's, you know, and she's had a slew of mental health issues and challenges. And, you know, we saw what happened at the Lusak Library with the stabbing. We see with things in Fairbanks. I mean, it's being reported all over the state and it's like a rash of these incidents where people are just they just snap. They just they're they're gone. They have a, a continuing public health crisis, and of course, things like homelessness and everything else. So we're gonna I, we're gonna get into that before I go uh, too far along here. But uh, you, your audio's good, your video's good. It, another beautiful day, and we're ready to dive into this. So if you're ready, give me about two min- two minutes, and we'll be right back to you. Okay. Okay, sounds good. All right, good. So Julie, uh, Representative Julie Colomb is going to be joining us here in just a minute. Um. Okay. Um, I love my, so I'll take that. I let, can't have caffeine. My heart speeds up. Um, Brian says he could not make the numbers work on the geothermal. Um, there you go. Um, I'd argue that if you're eating fungus off of cow poop, your mental health is already off center. But you know that, that he's just being, he's just being difficult. Mushrooms are delicious. I will eat mushrooms. Ooh, mushrooms in in butter and garlic, a little bit of mushrooms on top of a steak or inside of a delicious omelet. Oh, man. Mushrooms with Swiss on an omelet. So good. Even like a portobello burger. Have you ever done that? Had a portobello mushroom top that you cooked it and seared it and ate it like a burger? Delicious. Delicious. Yeah, I know it's fungus. I'm going to eat it still. I love it. Um, Hey, the best. That's right. I forgot. It wasn't for monkeys. It's elephants, Bill. The best coffee in the world is from beans that monkeys ate, then pooed out. It's from it's not monkeys. It's elephants. But yes, there's right. There's ones where they feed the beans to the elephants and they digest them. And then they got to pick through the poo for the I mean, that stuff's like five thousand dollars a pound for this coffee. I mean, not. Not really my thing. I'd still have a mushroom before I'd eat that. But there you go. Um, the cow poop is sterile. It's turned into dirt. It's like trying to tell my wife, pee is sterile. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We had this argument one day about this. And I'm like, well, technically it's sterile. And she's like, I, d-. So, you know, you got boys, you got little boys and you're trying to teach them to aim, right? You know, the thing. And I'm just like, it's okay. You know, they can clean it up. P is sterile. No big deal. Oh, don't say that to her. That was like the nuclear reaction. All right, here we go. 
Whoa, buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, yeah, live around the world on the Internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning. It's Monday. Uh, and uh, before we jump into it with our guest, Julie Colomb, Representative Julie Colomb, quick reminder, uh, I made the announcement early this morning, and I'll make it again today, right now, in fact, that on Friday uh, we will have alternate programming. On Friday, I'm taking a three-day weekend. It's my birthday. Uh, and I'm taking – I talked to my boss, and I looked in the mirror, and I said, you're a real jerk, but I want this day off. And he's grudgingly said okay. Um, so uh, getting Friday off, and uh, so it'll be a three-day weekend. So you'll have alternate programming on Friday, which also means that on Thursday we'll be doing Friday firearms stuff, so it'll be Firearms Thursday. Doesn't sound nearly as good as Firearms Friday, but there you go. That's what it is. Okay. So that. Also, don't forget to check out the Common Sense Core. If you want to help support the show, you can go to MichaelDukeShow.com and click on Join the Core. You can become part of the Facebook group and et cetera, et cetera. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. It's the Cool Kids Club. There you go. Uh, all right. So Representative Julie Colum is joining us this morning, uh, partially because last week we got on this talk about mental health uh, as a component of many different things. But specifically, we were talking about mental health with the homelessness issue. Uh, also, around firearms, we talked about that a little bit. And, of course, some of the crazy things that have been happening uh, around the uh, around the state and around the nation where we're seeing more and more of these kind of crazy antics and things happening where people are, you know, stripping naked in the parking lots or running around, attacking people and some of these other things. And so we got into this deeper discussion about uh, mental health and some of the problems and why we appear to be having a crisis here in America on it. And I was told by a couple people that Representative Julie Colomb is knowledgeable on this topic with the state. And so we thought we'd brought, bring her on board to talk about it and discuss it with us. And she joins us right now. Good morning there, Representative. How are you? Good morning, Michael. I'm doing well. Good. And you? I, you know what? I, it's Monday, which is kind of its own separate kind of hell usually. But, you know, we're above ground. I see some blue sky. Maybe nobody else in the state does, but I can see some blue sky. I feel good about it. And it's a four-day work week for me. What more could I ask right. for? And, well, happy birthday, pre-birthday. Yeah, pre-birthday. It's a week It's a week from Wednesday is my birthday. I'm going to be working on my birthday, but I thought, you know what? Because, I, I mean, who I hate having a birthday in the middle of the week, don't you? It's like either make mm -hmm. it a Monday or a Friday. Don't make it on a Saturday and a Sunday because those days are already weekends, right? No, give me a Friday or a Saturday, something like that. So, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so it's going to be fun. Um, so, Julie, here's the situation. We got into this deep discussion about uh, the 
problem with mental health in America. Um, you know, if somebody says to me, you know, we start talking about things like gun violence and some of these acts that have gone on across the country, <laughs> you could trace some of the rise of some of these things back to the mid 80s when Reagan, the Reagan administration kind of dismantled the entire mental health care system in the country. Uh, and in some cases, left some states had had a plan for afterwards. Some places didn't. But we could see there's this cumulative effect over the last 50 years that has caused some real problems. Uh, and it goes back again to talking about things like the homelessness or some of these actions. Uh, and here in Alaska, we've got a couple different things that deal with this, including the mental health trust and some other things. But it seems like we're having kind of a real Mental health crisis, uh, as far as the medical care for mental health crisis is amongst the population, not just in Alaska, but across the country. So give us your thoughts on on what you're seeing here to begin with before we get into some of the specifics. Yeah, so I'd just start out with uh, last year there was a report that 43 percent of Alaskans said that they had uh, mental health issues and only 26 percent could have had access to get help. And so obviously there's a big gap. Um, but there has been in Alaska for a long time. I think the pressure now, in my opinion, part of the uh, pressure is coming from uh, social media. I know for young people, um, the suicide rates have just skyrocketed and that is not helping, but there's been a long standing issue with mental health in Alaska. And I can give you a little history lesson about that, but just, sure. I wanted to let people know that I, I have a personal experience with this, and this is why I, I, I'm no expert. I'm not a psychologist or anything, but um, my husband and I adopted um, our third son out of the foster care system at age five. And so he is the classic uh, case that they talk about so much is that he went from foster home to foster home to foster home had lots of trauma, lots of abuse. And by the time we got him, um, there was so much damage that it was hard to climb out of. We looked for help. Um, this was 20 years ago. Um, we, we, we did get one psychologist, didn't do much. They just wanted to put him on meds. He ended up in North Star. He ended up down in Lower 48 in behavioral health centers. It was just a mess. And um, back then, I think it was about 2010, um, the state did a bring the bring the kids home. Uh, and they had thousands of children that had been moved out of state because there's no services here for behavioral health. And so since then, um, I, you know, I, I just I think with with so much that's the pressures of society going on right now, whether it's COVID, inflation, social media, I think it's all just kind of coming to a head. And it's really just revealing that we don't have the services that we're supposed to have anyway. No, and, and that's exactly it. Now, look, I and I want to be clear here because I've talked about this several times. Um, you know, we used there used to be. Uh, a mental health system across the country. The states had a variety of mental health homes, uh, asylums, you know, for involuntary commitment and things like that. And right. there were some horrific things that went on at these. I mean, there were some exposés in the in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, where they just they talked about some of the horrific conditions. And I'm not trying to defend those positions. There were some horrible things. Mm -hmm. But it also had it, it, it. There were still some good places in those kind of situations where it took some of these people who couldn't care for themselves, who were 
so damaged that they just could not participate in society. And it took them off the street and helped deal with them and help care for them and things like that. And once a lot of those systems shut down, many states had no further plan as to what to do. And those people basically ended up out in the wild. And that's right. kind of what we're looking at today without the lack of, I mean, mental health is a serious issue. I mean, I've got mental health issues in my family. People would argue that I have mental health issues, but I mean, there's, you know, there's, there's, I, I'm familiar with what's going on out there and the, and you're right, there is a complete lack of, there, there's just a, a lack of, a lack of it being able to do it. They don't have enough beds to do a lot of this stuff. And you're talking about all the kids and everything else. And then you add the pressures of, you know, the workaday world and COVID and all this other kind of stuff that has driven a lot of people, you know, even nuttier, plus the divisiveness of politics. And I mean, it's just this culmination of things. Uh, give us a little bit of history, as you were saying, you were going to give us a bit yeah. of a history with it here. Give us the rundown on this. Yeah. So Alaska is a little bit different. So in the territory days, um, the, there really wasn't mental health facilities here. So the feds would send everybody to a place called Morningside Hospital in Oregon. And so thousands of people were going down there. Um, and in 1956, they passed the Mental Health Trust Enabling Act. And that act actually gave uh, the territory responsibility for mental health services. So they gave um, Alaska 1 million acres as a trust to um, fund mental health services. That's also when um, API, Alaska Psychiatric Institute was uh, built. I think it was built like for $6 million or something. Um, so, so there were some services um, started and then um, uh, with that, with that, the, the million acres that they gave, they're supposed to be obviously generating income to help with mental health services and bring people back to Alaska. Um, 1984, Weiss versus Alaska decision. Uh, this was a father that uh, sued the state because he had a son with, and had to be sent out of state because there was no services here. That's when the mental health trust uh, was established. So they, so originally they gave a million acres, but the state did not manage it. They sold it. They sold it. They they really didn't use it for what it was intended to. So 500,000 of those acres were still left. And then the court gave another 500,000 uh, 500, um, acres of land and $200 million in cash. And so that's a, that's what established the mental health trust. And uh, the mental health trust is the only one, uh, only um, trust in the country to that generates funds to help with mental health in the state. The trust... Um, is supposed to have its permanent fund, the permanent fund corporation and DNR are supposed to be managing their lands and their, and their money. And for the most part, that's what's happened. So the, the trust is a really key part of providing mental health in Alaska. It doesn't, it's not that the state, like Department of Health still has responsibility to do that, but the trust um, establishes the budget in a lot of ways for the mental health. Um, and they obviously, they, they are kind of a unique, they run kind of like a foundation. So they're, they're unique in that they can spend money, um, without the legislature, you know, um, approving every single thing, Right. but we do approve their, we do approve the mental health budget. And that has a lot of 
what they we call MTARs in the budget line of sale MTAR. That's where the mental health trust um, gives money to state departments to help run mental health in the state. And so it's a unique, it's really unique. It's it's kind of it's complicated for a lot of people um, because of the weird relationship with the legislature uh, that we do approve. Uh, and we do uh, uh, approve the uh, board members, but they have a lot of free reign on how what they spend their money on and how they invest their money. So um, to for me, I, I was aware of the mental health trust before I even got in the legislature. And I've been um, a little frustrated with um, their inability to really move the needle on any mental health issue in Alaska. So that's why I probably know a little more than uh, most. Uh, I definitely knew more than most legislators. And I was trying to educate the legislators on how the mental health trusts interacted with the Department of Health um, and, and trying to make sure we're using the resources the best, you know, in an effective way. Because right now, when you look at the key point indicators, we're failing. We're failing on every right. mental health level right so yeah well in api is i mean they have a lack of beds and there's no you know there's not enough uh there's not enough there there's no long-term uh, uh care facilities for people who uh you know who have a, again this problem with the guy at the lusac library he'd been he'd attacked several people bennett you know gone to court they basically said he wasn't fit to stand trial they release him back out onto the street i mean they got violent people running you know going back out onto the street and so the question is do we need to rethink how we're doing it here in alaska and find a place where we can put people who need to be adjudicated and put in the you know put in the system and do things like that do we need to be looking at a whole new way of doing things well, I mean, that's why I'm, this is one of my uh, passion projects, so to speak, in Juneau, because um, because uh, the scorecard that the Mental Health Trust puts out, uh, it's obvious that we're failing. So API especially is something I followed for years, and I you probably know some of the drama through um, the last well, since the Dunleavy um, administration, the API, this last budget, we spent $26 million on API. It's supposed to have a capacity of 80 beds. The last time I uh, checked, we have a capacity of 55, which um, to the governor's administration's credit, it used to be about 20. Um, they've had all sorts of management problems. Um, and it's And as far as youth beds, it's, it's like 10 of those beds are for youth. And so it's obviously 55 beds for the entire state of Alaska is not enough. Um, uh, the other issue with that is not only the management of API, but something we talked about in Juneau a lot because there was a bill was the idea of involuntary commitment. <clears throat> so we've got, there was a court case not too long ago saying you can't um, force someone uh, to take meds and you can't force someone to to be institutionalized. And so it's kind of it's balancing the the public safety aspect of things and individual rights. It's not an easy thing to solve that bill. Right. The gal that um, was stabbed was in Juno a lot. She talked to all of us. She right. was there yeah. all the time pushing for this. And we all we all um, agreed with her, you know, that this was so wrong, but we have to balance the 
uh, rights of the individual, um, like I said, with public safety. And so that's been taking some time. You know, it's still right now, I think it's in um, Representative Vance's um, uh, Judiciary Committee. Um, and it needs to be hashed out because if if we don't do it right, it'll just be court challenged and we won't get anywhere anyway. So uh, Julie Colomb is our guest representative uh, from Anchorage. We're talking about mental health uh, here in the state of Alaska. We're going to continue this discussion in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. We return with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Julie, I mean, I don't want to go too far afield because we'll have to repeat ourselves on the radio. This gal, mm-hmm. though, coming down to uh, coming down to Juno, and I heard that she was making the rounds down there. That mm-hmm. had to be pretty power. I mean, this woman is paralyzed. Right. I mean, she's paralyzed from the waist down. No rehabilitation possible from what I read or understood. Um, Her life obviously totally changed by some random stranger who just went crazy and decided that he needed to stab her. Um, And I mean, that must have been some powerful discussions and powerful testimony on that. Oh, yeah. Let's the it's a lesson in uh, a constituent can really turn the ship because her her presence in the building and her like personally meeting each one of us some of us several several times um really made sure that we were putting the pressure on that bill to not only pass it through but to vet it well and get it through i think it has um it has support in the senate it, it has support in the house i think we're just trying to make sure that it's the best bill uh that we can produce like I said, so it doesn't um, just hit a court challenge the minute it gets passed. And so um, it's, yeah, it's, she's sitting in front of me, you know, yeah. I, you know, and, and this is a clear loophole problem. Yeah. That's because, our job. Yeah. Because that's, as I'm pointing out, as I've pointed out several times, this guy had been in and out of the system. He had a tat and it wasn't his first act of violence. This was the most egregious one, but it wasn't his first act of violence. He had attacked other people and been Mm -hmm. basically been deemed not fit to stand trial. And so the answer is release him, which I mean, I know people, their their eyebrows, just when you start talking about this, their eyebrows just go up because they mean, wait, he did acts of violence. He did this, but he's not fit to stand trial. And so you just release him back out onto the street. Mm -hmm. And that's what has blown a lot of people's minds because there is no there is no mental incarceration. There is no, you know, you're going upstate to a to a to a farm or to a place that that they'll take care of you because he just wasn't. I mean, how does that how does that happen? How do you yeah. let people who are violent back out on the street because we have no other because the law says he's not fit to stand trial? But if he's not fit to stand trial and he's a danger to society, what do you do with him? Mm hmm. Well, apparently we let them go. <laughs> like yeah. That's that's what we need to fix. Um, but it does require an involuntary commitment. And so that's why it's tricky. It's um, and we have some uh, there's some uh, legislators that are lawyers that I've been working with a lot. So 
So we get all the loose ends tied up, but we don't uh, go too far. And obviously, you know, this is a public safety issue. If if you've been in Anchorage lately, um, the homeless problem um, is, especially down on third, is just blown up. Oh, and I would say, I, I can't remember, I, I want to say it was like 40, 40%, maybe 35% of the people uh, are actively homeless in Anchorage have mental health problems. They're, so we don't yeah. know if they're dangerous or not. Um, but they're definitely not able to take care of themselves. And so we're, what do we do? You know, if we can't um, commit them involuntarily, um, it, it's it's a hard situation. And no, it's sad, it too. Sad. I hate to see them on the street. I mean, I, you know, I my first exposure to mental health um, facilities was uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? So right, right. We don't well, need nurse <laughs> ratchets and stuff. So... But that was, you know, the thing that happened with Reagan, geez, that was 50 years ago. So, I mean, we, we need to, maybe that's not the um, answer, but, you know, I think there are some some solutions coming our no. way that we can talk about when we get on the well, air. But Exactly. Um, I mean, I, and I think, I mean, look at the explosion of homelessness and a lot of these other issues since the shutdown of that system. Again, that system was deeply flawed in many ways. I mean, we saw mm -hmm. some horrendous conditions. We saw some horrific things happen. Um, but the bottom line is, is that leaving us with basically no system in place has obviously had consequences now for 50 years. And yeah. we're seeing more homelessness and more issues and more than ever before. So let's uh, let's talk about this and uh, we'll talk about some solutions here uh, from your perspective and more. Julie Colomb, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Uh, please like and share, like and follow, like and do all the stuff that you need to on YouTube and Facebook and everything else. Let's continue on. Here we go. Jumping right back in right now. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. <laughs> what? I've never been called. Never said that before. I'm not a pain for anybody. Welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio, hour two of the broadcast. We're talking with Representative Julie Colomb about uh, mental health in the United States. And well, in Alaska specifically, <clears throat> but this is a problem that affects all of the United States. Uh, Julie, you were just talking about this bill, uh, involuntary commitment bill. So explain to me now, what does Alaska have for, and we keep coming back to this one because it's the most egregious example that I can think of recently is this man mm -hmm. stabbing this woman in the Lusak library who was known to police, had been in and out, had uh, been deemed not fit to stand trial, released back into the streets. Um, you know, over and over and over again to now he's really hurt somebody. What, uh, you know, let's talk about the involuntary commitment laws as they stand today versus mm -hmm. what this bill would do. So what do we have on the books today? Is there really anything? How do we get somebody adjudicated to where they need to be into state care versus, uh, you know, what does the bill do? So give me the differences here of where we are now and where we could be. Well, I'm not I'm not aware of um, any um, any um, situation where you can commit someone involuntarily long term. So if you, someone's having a mental health crisis, they can be um, committed. I think it's to I think it's 36 hours. 
um, to basically calm down. But a lot of those people land in the emergency room and they or, or in prison, you know, or in a detox or or like a dry out cell. But there really isn't a place long term to put someone. And it really the law does not support involuntary commitment. Um, you know, that story, I think it was out in the valley, that woman who got pulled in by her family. Oh, the teacher, the teacher, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the teacher yeah, who yeah. did that, yeah. I mean, that was a little bit different situation, but you can't do that. And so, well, right now, um, the big thing, the big push is what's called Crisis Now, and they're building crisis, a Crisis Now Stabilization Center at Prov. Um, I believe there's one in Wasilla, <clears throat> maybe one in Fairbanks, but this this whole idea of um, putting someone for a short term to calm them down and connect them with services. Um, that's helping. It's supposed to help. And I think it does help pull people out of the ER or a cell or, you know, where we don't have anywhere to put them. Now they have a place to put someone, connect them to services, let them calm down. And I think for, the police and firemen, it's helpful because right now they're having mental health professionals. And I, I had a lot of uh, publicity, I think last year, where mental health professionals would go to crisis situations right. and people were really worried because, you know, is it a violent situation? Um, why are these mental health professionals going into scary situations? But what's happened is, so let's say I'm having, let's say a family member's having a mental health crisis. They call 911. They say, I have someone, you know, they're they're threatening to kill themselves. I don't know what to do. They're freaking out. 911 will farm that to a mental health. Uh, they actually transfer it to a mental health professional. And the mental health professional will try to talk the situation down over the phone. If that's not happening, they actually dispatch mental health professionals. And if there's a, like, obviously, if there's a weapon or if there's a violent situation, they'll have police officers with them. Um, to try to deal with it as a mental health situation instead of a criminal situation, right, which right. is basically what's been happening. You know, so you have someone who's starting to kill themselves. They send the SWAT team and they surround the house and then the person ends up killing themselves. So that's it's not the best way to deal with a mental health crisis. So right now, crisis now is the big thing. Um, everybody's pushing for that. It doesn't help with it doesn't help with involuntary commitment. It doesn't help with uh, long-term solutions. I think that's a different bucket than than crisis now. But I know the mental health trust has really been um, has helped a lot with trying to get crisis now uh, in the state because it's in the lower 48. It's been working, and I would say right now it's been working as far as first responders is helping them a lot to pull some of those situations away from them de-escalate it yeah down to a mental yeah. health issue instead of a criminal issue which i think is important. well i mean the police it's not the police are not known for de-escalation not because they're doing anything wrong but it, when you see a bunch of cop cop cars come out they're all armed it, everybody's intimidated everybody's afraid just their presence can escalate a situation so they're trying right. to pull that off and bring things down so it doesn't get to that point where you know you have 
the house surrounded and right you know how would this, this how would this new bill change the law this bill that that's again is in sarah vance's committee i know it raised a few eyebrows some people were mm-hmm. concerned about it uh you know when it came through but how would it help what, what would it change would it create a process for involuntary commitment mm-hmm. or is that is that what it's uh is that what it's really about or what does the mm-hmm. bill cover yeah so i'm, I'm not i'm not really good on the specifics of the bill, but my understanding of the bill is that it's going to close that loophole for violent mental health patients. So right now they're not able to, it's really a a department of law issue where they, they can't, if they're not fit for trial, they can't, they can't commit them anyway. They can't put them in jail because they haven't been convicted of anything. And so there's this weird gap of you can't make them go into a mental institution and you can't put them in jail. And so it closes that where there's certain conditions. It's very specific. It's been amended a lot. It's it's a very small window where they can um, uh, commit them. I think it's up to five years. It got amended in the Senate. It was higher. Um, They can... um, but actually, it started with five years, and I think you can commit them up to two years with a re-up. So a re-evaluation every two years, you can keep them there up to five years. So it's they didn't start that way, but I think because people were really concerned about the just involuntary commitment and how that could get abused, they made it a very specific window, especially to the situation the gal that um, was stabbed in the library, it would it it would help that situation where get them off the streets. Yes, they're they're committed involuntarily, but not forever. It's not going to be you, you're in the mental institution for the right. rest of your life. You're being reevaluated uh, constantly but to see where they're at. That leads to the problem, of course, is where do you put them? I mean, is there a facility? Right. I mean, you could put them in jail. Right. And jails have, you know, the 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 mental wards or the you know psychology psych wards or whatever. But I mean, do you put them in jail or is there a facility to actually, you know, like a state mental health facility where they can go? And as you point out, only fifty five beds for a, a state of seven hundred thousand people, probably right. not enough when they're reporting that at least forty thousand or forty percent of people have some kind of issue and and you know. But I mean, so do we need more facilities then? Is that where mental health trust comes in? Do we build more facilities? Do they fund something like that? How does that work? Yeah, so that conversation, that was a big conversation in Juneau is where, and uh, I'll give kudos to Representative Prox for pointing this out over and over, like where are we putting these people? Um, There's a lot of discussion about an extension to API. The API would need more beds. They would need more employees to handle that. I didn't hear a lot of like brand new facilities. Um, I, I would support expanding API if we could fix the management problems that are there. It's, um, it's gotten better, but it's still an issue. But I think that's probably the most likely uh, scenario to expand services to API. So that does go back to the mental health trust. Um, the mental health trust has, so I I, I guess where, where I sometimes get at odds with the trust is that I would like to see more money put in infrastructure. My biggest thing, and a lot of this is my, my own son's experience. Sure. There is no open door treatment 
drug treatment center in Anchorage. You can't just decide I'm done. I'm going to go in. There are lots of little treatment centers all over Anchorage and the trust has land and they have $700 million, well, $800 million um, plus, it's actually almost a billion dollars in, in um, investments in land. And I would like to see, instead of spreading out their money on these, you know, small grants all over the state, like let's build something. And they will probably have to be um, involved in expanding API. I just don't know of anybody else who has the resources to help right. with that project. Well, the grants so, are the grants are fine. I mean, grants are fine. That's all good. But like right. you said, you have to have the infrastructure to be able to right. actually house the people to begin with. May, and, right. and while Juno is fine, and that's great that, you know, API and everything. But I mean, you got the vast majority of the people who are here on the road system. And of course, the majority of the state lives within 100 square, you know, 100 miles of, of Anchorage and everything else. Right. Why don't we have a facility there that's an actual facility, you know, not hard security, but a soft security place where they can go, they could be safe, they could be kept there, they can't leave, you know, they're safe, this society safe, everything else. Right. Why wouldn't they invest a hundred million dollars of that money to build the facility and then, you know, spin off money every year to maintain it? Why wouldn't, that seems like that would be a great use of that mental health trust money. If they've got almost a billion dollars, you can build a pretty damn good facility for 50 or $60 million, I'm assuming, and then keep it and upkeep it and then have the state partially fund it and everything else. That seems to be a better solution than just throwing little bits of money at various different things. Um, well, so yeah, there's a little bit of a challenge with that because the mental health trust only has a 4.25% draw every year. So they're giving out 20, 20 million a year. And so I, I don't, that, that to put that kind of money into a capital project would be, uh, it would take a lot of pressure and negotiations to try to get more money out. Um, but look, if you... So when you saw, if you saw mental health trust present at the Senate Finance Committee, no one talked about mental health at all, except for David Wilson, who asked about Alzheimer's support. All it was, was their financial condition, which, okay, it's finance. Um, so that could be the focus. But the problem is their focus is to make money. They're making a lot of money and good for them. I'm glad that they're doing that. They're not doing what was ha what happened in the past where they're just wasting their land or selling right, or whatever. Right. So th they manage it well. But my issue is where is the the health and the mental health component? Like you're making money so you can support mental health. And right now, one of the things that I brought up in committee that's always kind of irked me is their operating cost is about $8.3 million. Yeah, $8.3 million to operate the mental health trust in the land office. They gave the state $8.5 million to support mental health. So their operating costs are almost even with what they give state departments to help with mental health. Now, uh, yeah, to me, that seems a little you know, exorbitant. I mean, at that point. Well, that's fine if you want to spend that much money on operating costs, but the balance isn't there. So, and to be fair, they give the rest of the money, they gave about 20 million. So, we have another nine, 
10, 12 million that went to grants throughout the state in crisis now. It's not that they're only giving 8.5, but that is a pretty heavy operating cost when you're only giving out 20 total anyway. So that's, so I have um, asked them about the draw. Why is it, they do a 4.25% draw, which is less than permanent fund, plus they inflation proof, plus they have reserves, right? plus they're developing their land. So I, my, what I would like to see and back to API is what if we did have a large capital project that the state really couldn't cover? I would love to see the trust kick in and do what they need to do to get some infrastructure in Alaska. And, well, and I'll talk about it uh, next segment, but there's, there's a pressure there. It, it, there's a federal pressure that we may have to figure it out. Yeah, because we're feeling it on some of the federal regs as well. There, we're not we're not earning any friends at the federal level no. with some of the things we're doing as well. We'll continue with this uh, in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio, Julie Coloma, our guest. We return right after this. Our light, our guide, and our trusted friend. Thirty percent overhead, essentially, is what you're saying. You're saying twenty million. It cost them eight million to give twenty million away. That um, that does seem excessive just from the outside. I mean, I haven't looked at the numbers or anything, but it seems like that's a pretty excessive number. Almost 30 percent, 28 or whatever that is, uh, uh, you know, to to in overhead to give away. Mm-hmm. And it, but it would seem to make sense if they've got a billion dollars, nearly a billion dollars in their own fund, why they wouldn't build one facility and then utilize a big chunk of that yearly spinoff instead of giving it in a lot of separate little grants instead to fund and to maintain facilities that they themselves can build that that seems like a pretty good deal i mean that seems like a pretty good idea but obviously well there's part of challenges. it is you know part of it is uh, you know, for the the settlement and statute they're the the people they serve they're called trustees it's about a third of the population in alaska people with uh dementia drug addiction mental health um, behavioral health issues. Um, it's kind of broad. And so, you know, that's when you look at their, um, their plans, it's a, it's a really broad plan. And I understand why they get spread thin. Um, but I, my request is just that there's priorities. Don't cut out all the money for dementia and Alzheimer's and traumatic brain injuries. But obviously we have a suicide crisis and a drug addiction crisis. So I would prefer the resources be prioritized right. as, as the problems are right now. And right now it's kind of evenly spread and actually a little wonky on some things. Like they're spending a lot of money on homelessness, um, not so much on juvenile um, behavioral health. So there, there's just some priorities that, that I would like to see changed. Um, and like I said, when we get back on, uh, there's a DOG, a DOJ report that's going to make us um, do something. Yeah. Um, I was just saying, Jeannie says, can she read the comments? Yes, she can read the comments. If she has a time to read the comments, she can read the comments that are in the, 
in the thing oh. there. Um, oh, I'm just looking to see. If... Oh, there it is. Okay, sorry. No, no. <laughs> I had a... it on private chat. So... No, no, that's fine. You can uh, you can see there. There's a whole bunch of comments in there okay, about some it. of this. Use a central facility with hospitals as as intermediaries. Uh, Jeannie also talked a lot about um, some of the legislators need to take a tour of the Western State Hospitals in Hawks Prairie in Olympia. Uh, I know that both California and Washington have got large state-run mental health. I know California specifically has one outside of um, Ojai. No, maybe it's not Ojai. Anyway, they have a, like it's like a campus. It's like a college campus, but it's basically a state facility for people who have, you know, mental disabilities or deformities or you know who who can't survive on their own in society. They have mm. that. Uh, they have that as well. Um, there are other states who, who you know, after the after the disbandment of the whole system, were did pick it up on their own and have been doing better than many others. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a real problem. She also said, "Read something." Where was that? I was looking at that. There was a comment where here we go. Do everyone a favor. Procure a copy of Washington State's Involuntary Treatment Act. Read it. It may not apply to Alaska's needs, but the theory is viable and successful. So I will. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. Anyway, yeah, there's a bunch of comments in there too. Some of them have. Yeah, been, I'm looking at them now. Some of them yeah, have I, no, uh, no, no, no binding on what we're talking about here. But there you go. Um, <laughs> that's that's what happens sometimes. I was like Venezuela. Okay, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Brian does have a point. There's a lot of money in the Alaska study industry. There's money to be made helping Alaskans manage money. We talk about the study of a study that we studied before to study the study that we studied the third time. And, uh, you know, that's the running joke about the Alaska study industry that we have that pretty much everywhere. Yes. But, yeah. Well, I, mean, I said that in um, both uh, Representative Ruffridge and I mentioned that in the education subcommittee. Uh, because they're spending so much money on analysis and study of students. And we're just like, stop. Like, we need to do. We know the problems. Right. Like, we, we call that we analysis paralysis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we call that analysis paralysis. We're just studying the problem. We were stuck. We're stuck in a squat, baked in a squat, oh, studying the problem. True. And that's a real that's a real thing here in Alaska. I mean, there are millions of dollars made on studies every year. There's probably a whole wing of the Library of Congress that could be filled with the studies that we've had in the past that we, you know, but we've got to restudy them now kind of thing. Well, I I would say um, out of my limited experience in Juno, education, mental health have the most studies I've ever seen. I have binders and binders of every study in just in the last like five years. Yeah. So many studies. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's, it's a lot of money, too. It's expensive. All right. Well, we're going to get back into solutions. This is the final segment. Uh, Representative Julie Coloma is our guest. Let's get into it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. Like and follow. Do the stuff. Join the Common Sense Corps. Here we go. All right, uh, ready to continue. Final segment, Julie Colomb, our guest representative from Anchorage. We've been talking about mental health. We've been talking about the trust. 
Uh, you know, why can't, if you got a billion dollars, why can't you just build a facility and maintain it where Alaskans can get what they need? Um, but she's got some potential discussions and solutions here, maybe things that could be done. Julie, uh, final segment, what's your thought? I'll give you free reign here to talk about, you know, what you think can, could be done here. Give us the, give us your rundown. Yeah. So one of the things I want to be sure to talk about, uh, Michael, was the Department of Justice report that came out in December of last year. That report said that we are on the there we are on the cusp of the Fed suing us because we do not provide services for our uh, adolescents and our youth. This is the reason why the trust was established in the 80s. We're in the same situation than we were in the 80s. We don't have enough community-based services to help people keep their kids with them or in limited treatment. We're still sending kids out of state. We're sending kids to North Star who is having a lot of management problems as well. And so with that pressure, um, they created a DOJ steering committee, which I'm on, um, and which they're analyzing the situation. <laughs> right now um studying. hopefully they're it moves studying. into action yeah they're studying um, but, the study right exactly but the good news is you know i think maybe you know i i'm no fan of the feds but it's giving a lot of pressure to action instead of talking about stuff we have to do something or we're going to be sued again by the feds because we're not fulfilling you know because um we have medicaid we're not fulfilling the services that we're supposed to. And we're still sending kids out of state, just like my son 20 years ago. And so one of the solutions that I think is like encouraging is that they got uh, what's called an 1115 waiver. That was right before COVID, it was 2019, I think. And that is a Medicaid covering behavioral health services. So that was a big deal for the state. Then we had COVID and um, it really kind of, it, it, it interrupted its um, implementation. And so now it's starting to come back. Uh, people are understanding how to apply for the waivers and trying to connect that with the mental health um, providers. But we always, so the DOJ report really focuses on you can't institutionalize your children unless it's a very extreme um, case. And so what the one eleven fifteen waivers do is try to put behavioral uh, health services within the community, because once you take the kids out of the home and out of state, like my son, it was a disaster. It's way too much trauma, way too much trauma. He couldn't live in our house, but I think if we had some wraparound services that helped us um, manage him, he could have he could have at least been in a small group home in Anchorage. And so we would see him and we would and, and um, you know, uh, keep our relationship and their safety. So the 1115 waiver is a big deal. It's it's a linchpin in a lot of areas. The problem is in the rural areas, there isn't that there isn't that many services right. and the rural areas have plenty <clears throat> of mental health problems. So they're being sent to Anchorage, which means they're out of the community. They're especially uh, native children. They're out of their culture. They're away from their family. And so that's the, the steering committee that I'm on is trying to figure out is basically putting a framework together to make sure that 
not only the hubs have the, the wraparound services, but that there's some answers to some of the rural areas um, to try to get kids to stay in uh, their community and get help. It depends on what their issues are. A lot of my, my son's issues were related to trauma. He was a FAS kid, a fetal alcohol syndrome kid. And so they have lots, like there, there's a whole specialty to help deal with FAS kids. Um, some of their behaviors will never get fixed. What you're trying to do is help them cope with some of the issues they have right. and help their family understand why they act the way they do. So this, this last year, we had a $231 million mental health budget. I voted no. I think it was just me and David Eastman that voted no on the final budget, mainly because there was amendments from the Senate that I wasn't even I wasn't aware of. And I hate that the mental health budget is just kind of moved along uh, in committee. It's not vetted like op the operating in the capital budget. Well, the capital budget wasn't vetted this year, but generally, generally, yeah. yeah. Um, and so what I'm going to try to do this coming year is try to connect the, the mental health budget with the key pointing indicators and make sure that state's money is being spent on things that actually work, that actually do something to provide services, not only for the youth, because we need to do that, especially not only for our youth, but the feds, uh, but for everyone. Uh, you know, we 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 can't. It, it just astonishes me that we're back to where the mental health trust was actually formed. That we're we're sending kids and people out of state because we still don't have services. Right, so with a with a billion dollars in the bank. That's the thing. Right. Um, so, <laughs> I just mind blowing. Uh, we yeah. talked we talked a lot about government solutions to this, but you know, as a libertarian, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask where does the private sector stand in this? I mean, where, you know, what are some of the solutions the private sector could do, or you know, what are some of the opportunities there? So there's, um, I, I would like to see some private sector providers come up, and I feel like the mental health trust could could help with that. To um, like, let's say we build something, we need a provider to come and run that. Maybe the government helps with the initial uh, capital, uh, but then a private uh, a private provider can come up and and run it. We right now the only private providers that I I know of, you know, that aren't nonprofits, um, are faith based um, providers. We have uh, Set Free Alaska, like they're scattered in the and mainly in the valley actually, a lot more in the valley than in Anchorage. And um, they're smaller, um, they're faith-based, um, their numbers are better as far as recidivism. And, you know, I, I don't, I think a, a, a private provider needs to know that they are going to come here and they have the human resources to make the program run. And right. that's, that's an issue. That's, yeah. we, we struggle with that. And that's a whole nother conversation about UAA and right. all and the university and stuff. But that is a, that is kind of a block for some providers that, that if they come up here, they can't hire enough qualified people to run their program and to bring them up with them would be expensive. And so, right. you know, that's, that's another piece to this is the actual provider piece. Um, you got the infrastructure, the provider uh, piece, and then the law, like, 
you know, the, the involuntary commitment to versus voluntary commitment. So there's a couple of pieces that need to be put together to really help move things forward. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that if the state was to build the infrastructure and then private industry was to come in and take over that, that infrastructure uh, and run it, that might be the best of the combinations. Right. Because nobody's going to, you know, no no doctor is going to come up and try and invest $100 million in something like that and then not know what's going to happen. I think there has to be some, there has to be some stability in that. I mean, it's a problem that reaches into many aspects of our lives. We're obviously not solving it right here, but we're at least coming up with some of the solutions. Representative Julie Colomb, thank you so much for coming on board and joining us this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your thoughts. I appreciate it. All right, hold the line for a second. Uh, Folks, we're out of time for today. Tomorrow, Brad Keithley, Chris Story. Wednesday, fingers crossed, Mike Shower. Thursday, some firearm stuff. Should be fun. We will continue. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. See ya. All right, Julie. I see you got some sunshine now. I see the, the sun just came through the window. I was I like, see, what happened? I see the sun shining on your face. I can see it happening now. Um, so final thoughts. I'll give you I'll give you the final bite of the apple here because again, this is a very complex issue. Uh, and it ties into so many other issues yeah. in a, in America, not just in Alaska, but in America. I mean, and again, we can have the discussion about, you know, gun violence and and child crime and, and a lot of these other things. We could talk about homelessness. It all, I think, comes back to roost on mental health in many ways. And so I'll give you the chance here, your final thoughts on, on all this here. Yeah. So if you look, look at the statistics in the correctional centers, in the uh, addiction centers, mental health centers, uh, almost half are are former foster care kids. Okay, so there's a there's a long streaming issue going on. The foster care system is broken. They come out of that broken. We treat them we by sending them away from their family and their culture. And so I'm just like I'm I'm trying to figure out a way where we can actually get action items, whether it's the mental health trust or or the health department or private providers, we have to actually get um, the services to these people and to look at the foster care system because a lot of that that pipeline they talk about uh, to the to corrections is it's really true and it's really sad. My son is you know a victim of the system as well. He, he, that we tried so hard to try to get him help, try to get him uh, stable. But if you don't have the expert help around, whether it's private or not, you kind of like, we're, my husband and I are no experts. On, we're not, we're not psychologists. So we needed the, the assistance to try to understand his condition. And so that's what I'm going to be trying to do to Juno. We got to connect the money to the key point indicators. Is the money being spent working? And if it's not working, what are we going to do about it? We got to shift. We got to yeah. either change priorities or change the game plan. And I guess kudos to the mental health trust for building the trust up. But there yeah. comes a time when you have to expend a portion of it now to, I mean, I can understand being cautious in the 4.25 draw, but you're upwards of now a billion dollars. And if you're only distributing $20 million a year out of that, it's just going to continue to grow. Because right. and and not help the problem. I mean, great that you have the money, but again, 
that infrastructure would be worth much more than the money in the bank, that infrastructure right. that would help Alaskans today. So, again, spin off $100 million and build a facility or two in the country, go partner with private individuals, yeah. go partner with private providers, get them <laughs> in there, set up a fund where it automatically, you know, draws and, and maintains, does the maintenance, does all the things like that, and let everything else. That would be a much better use than the money just sitting in the bank. I mean, at that point, you're actually doing something. Right, right. Well, they're, you know, they're encouraged to keep those investments up. You know, Bert Stedman's so happy with how the trust is being run and, um, how much money they're making and they they've gotten into uh, commercial real estate they're developing uh, they have a project down at icy bay yeah they're making a lot of money um so which again i'm glad because the history is you know the the land before was wasted and and sold and spent on other things so i'm grateful for that but i think we're in a position now that you know we need to, we're getting we're getting a lot of pressure from the feds. We got to get our act together or else we're going to, now we're going to waste more money in a court lawsuit with the feds. I'd rather see that yeah. money expand API or build a treatment center in Anchorage. There's so many things that we could do that would keep people in the state and not have to be sent out yeah. um, to the state. So. No, Jeannie says it. I think Bert Stedman is missing the point on that. Great. I mean, I agree yeah. with that. Uh, take 10%. I don't think taking 10% and spinning it off to actually have physicality and have infrastructure would be a bad thing. And then you'd right. still have 90% to run it for the in perpetuity. I mean, that, to me, right. that would make sense. Yeah. Uh, but who? what do I know? I'm just a radio guy. All right, uh, Julie. Thank You're way too pragmatic, Michael. I, way too pragmatic. I've been told that. Or was it pregnant? I can't remember. It's so one of the two. I. It's one of the two. All right. Uh, Julie Colomb, thank you so much. It's good to hear from you. Thank you for coming on board. As always, great Well, to thank talk. you for asking me, uh, Michael. This is one of my passion issues. So I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. Well, thank you. we should talk about it. We should talk about it more is what we should be talking mm -hmm. about it. Uh, we'll do. This is Mental Monday, I guess, is what we're talking about. Mental Health Monday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Julie. I appreciate it. Thanks, Folks, Michael. we're out of time. We got more coming up uh, tomorrow. Thanks for coming in and being part of it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We will see you then, folks. Have a great day. terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show